0: I think that's also a remarkable point about human nature, is that sometimes we don't even fully realize who our anger really should be directed to, and we scapegoat people all the time. As societies, tragically, we do this, and certainly as individuals, we do this.
1: Welcome to Into the Verse, where we share new and unexpected insights about the Parsha, diving deep into the verses to uncover the Torah's own commentary on itself. This is Ari Leveson, here today with Adina Blaustein to talk about Parshat Vayeshev. Parshat Vayeshev tells the story of the animosity, the hatred, the fighting between Yosef and his brothers. It tells the story of how one day Yaakov sent Yosef to go check on his brothers who were shepherding, and of course we know what happens. The brothers take him, throw him into a pit, sell him into slavery. It's a horrible, tragic story. The question I want to focus on today is what was Yaakov thinking? I mean, you take Yosef and you send him to the people who you know hate him more than anyone else in the world. I mean, you were leading Yosef right into the lion's den. Right, Adina, if you know your kids are fighting and you have to separate them and you put them in their room for timeout, like you don't take one kid and then say, "Oh, can you actually go check on the other kid in his room?"
0: Absolutely. When you frame it in uh, modern parenting the scenario completely makes no sense. When you know that there's clear animosity, when you know that there's rivalry, you don't stoke the fire more.
1: It, It seems like a crazy idea, you know, if your kids are with you in the house. But then imagine they're 100 miles away where there's no supervision, there's no one to watch over them, there's no witnesses. It really, like, it makes you just scratch your head.
0: I mean, in this week's Torah portion, that's exactly what Jacob does The brothers have found some separation, some time out, as you're calling it in this metaphor. They go to shepherd off in Shchem, which is some miles away from where he is. And he then says, oh, instead of letting them have a cool down period, I'm going to send Joseph directly to them. What was he thinking?
1: That's exactly the question I want to tackle today, because when we dig deeper here, I think there's a lot to be discovered under the surface and a lot to teach us about relationships and particularly how to mend broken relationships. So where do we begin? We need to look for some clues in the text that might help us find an answer to this. And there are a lot of parts of the story that we could look at and try to dissect. I actually want to focus on the part that seems to be the least significant part of this story, because if I've learned anything from Rabbi Foreman, it's that if some part of the story seems to be insignificant, if it seems like it has no purpose in the overall plot, it probably means we're missing something in that part of the story and missing how that part of the story actually plays into the bigger hall. It's like
0: a good Agatha Christie (laughs) story or play.
1: Right, right. It's never the one you were expecting. So I'm not going to talk about the part where Yaakov sends Yosef, and I'm not going to tar- talk about the part where the brothers um, take him and throw him in the pit and sell him. But wait, isn't that the whole story?
0: So which part are you going to be talking about? You're not going to speak about being sent away, and you're not speaking about the part where the brothers meet up in uh, in Datan. So what does that leave? Are you speaking about uh, Joseph's journey?
1: Exactly, Adina. There is this strange few psukim that tell us about Joseph's journey so if we could open up to Genesis 37 at verse 15 Adina could you read to us this uh, mini chapter of the story
0: okay verse 15 (laughs) and a man comes upon him and he's wandering the fields and the man asked Joseph what are you looking for
1: Right, so apparently Joseph is wandering around looking for his brothers. He has no idea where they are. And this guy says, what are you looking for? He says, I'm looking for my brothers. And the guy responds, um, oh, your brothers aren't here anymore. They went to this place called Dotan. So Joseph goes to Dotan and the story continues. So in the scheme of the whole story, like, where does this fit in? Like, if the yeah. guy had just left this out, if we, he just went straight to the brothers, would that have changed the story at all?
0: Great question. I completely agree. Right. If we wanted a make this story more concise more dramatic take this section out and furthermore the buildup of the story and the tension you know you're on the edge of your seat jacob just sent joseph to to check on the brothers and this section just kind of completely deflates that buildup, that climax right.
1: <laughs> yeah you're waiting to see like what's gonna happen what's gonna happen and then it's like oh and yosef stopped to fill up gas right we don't need that skip just move on to the next one yeah so Only the Torah provided some sort of commentary on itself that would help us understand this story. (laughs) Of course, it's the tagline of this podcast, the Torah is a commentary on itself. The Torah does this all the time, where we have later sections in the Torah that reference back to these earlier stories and uh, really help us understand these stories and and how we're supposed to see them. So we're going to look for this other place, and the hint, the key word, is this word toa. Mm-hmm. which means to wander. There's actually only one other place in the Torah that we get the word to'eh in this form. Wow. And that's in Parsha Mishpatim, in Exodus chapter 23, verse 4. Adina, why don't you read this for us? And, and when you do, let's pay careful attention to any words in this that remind us of the Joseph story.
0: It's interesting because when you suggested that there could potentially be another place in Torah to look for commentary to explain this question, I wouldn't have thought of Parshat mishpatim. So this is fascinating. Okay, so verse 4. When you encounter your enemy's ox or donkey wandering, you should return it. You must take it back.
1: So there's that word toa, wandering, right? Yeah, there's that
0: word toa, and then I have to say something else that immediately jumps out at me is ovecha. It's your enemies' animal that the Torah is saying to return, and the context of the Joseph story is a story of enemies. So that that just right away is just fascinating.
1: Right, it's not just any ox out of all the oxen out there, it's specifically the one of your enemy. And also the language of Shore, does that ring any bells? Particularly the animal of an ox. Does anything about that remind you of Yosef?
0: Um trying to think in the blessings is he associated mm-hmm. with, with with Shore, yeah. Alright. Right, okay. So in, so, in like,
1: Genesis forty nine twenty two, when Yaakov
0: When Jacob blesses the brothers.
1: Right, he calls Yosef
0: Bakhor Shoro Yosef.
1: Uh, ah, so that <laughs> so Joseph isn't called an ox once, but actually twice in both sets of blessings in the Torah. The first one's that Jacob gives, um, and the second one in uh, Deuteronomy thirty three seventeen that Moshe gives. Um, both times Joseph is called a an ox.
0: What's the phrase?
1: The first one it's it's a lay shore okay. in uh, Genesis forty nine twenty two, and then in Deuteronomy thirty three seventeen, um, Moses calls him b'chor shore.
0: Oh, okay, so that's the one I was thinking of. Okay, yeah, cool. And then in Nevi, in uh, Joseph's descendants eventually become the 10 tribes and the symbol of the Northern kingdom, the 10 tribes also becomes associated with uh, like the horns of a shore of an ox. So that is very much symbolic of, of Joseph and his whole identity and this kind of larger than life throughout generations, a kind of national identity as well. Fascinating.
1: Okay. So, so far, I mean, we've seen this, the only use of this word toa, to wander. And it's not just any animal wandering, but it's an ox wandering. An ox is like the nickname for Joseph. It's the symbol for Joseph that we see throughout so many different places. And it's not just any ox, but it's the ox of your enemy. And then here's what's so fascinating about it. What does it say to do when you find the ox of your enemy wandering about?
0: You have to return it
1: yeah okay so if we're right about this then the implications here and what the brothers should have done it it really is just so clear and it makes so much sense right we all know what they should have done is they should have brought him back to their father and instead they do the exact opposite of bringing him back to their father they take him and they sell him into slavery
0: i'm having a pang of sadness because Ruvain's plan seems to have been to try to return him and restore him to his father Right. And reading this law in Mishpatim, having the opportunity to think of, well, how could the story have gone differently, uh, just reminds me of that failed rescue attempt, and in a sense, the failure of the story. So I, I think this parallel just kind of forces you once again to realize just how tragic the Joseph story is in chapter 37.
1: Right? That, that's such a great point. And the language that it uses when Reuven, who tries to stop this plot, who tries to stop the sale of Joseph from happening, is, Laman in order to save him from their hands, to return him to their father. That that was the goal. That was what should have happened. Right.
0: Reuven was trying to do Hashavara Veda.
1: Right. So a few years back, our colleague Ami Silver stumbled across the same uh, set of parallels. And he pointed out that Whenever you you have parallel between these two stories, and you try to align up which character corresponds to which character in each story,
0: Rabbi Foreman likes to call that the cast of characters. I think it's one of the most fun of all the biblical tools that we have in our toolbox.
1: Yeah. So when we when we're doing cast of characters, it pays to be really precise about exactly. Who each character is. So often, you think you understand the parallels, and then you do cast of characters, and you realize that the parallels are telling you something even more surprising than you thought.
0: So let's let's list the characters in, in yeah, the yes, Shvetan. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, so we've got we've got the ox, we've got the ox's owner, mm-hmm. who we learn is an enemy, right? And then we have this individual who finds the ox who is enemies with the ox's original owner. So I feel like we've got three characters.
1: Okay, so let's line them up. The ox is the easy one.
0: Okay, so the ox, yeah, that's Joseph.
1: Right, and who finds him?
0: Um, In 37 in Genesis, I feel like there's two candidates. Um, You could say the brothers in general, right? Because, you know, he, he eventually goes to them in Dotan. But another possible candidate could be this mysterious, anonymous Ish, who Joseph uh, stumbles upon in the fields near Shrem.
1: So Adina, uh, you're right that there could be two possible uh, candidates for this role, for the person who runs into Yosef, but we're talking about someone who who is an enemy here.
0: An enemy with the shore's owner.
1: So that's a great point, right? So who is the ox's owner? Who's
0: the shore's owner, right? And who's enemies with that shore's owner?
1: Right. Well, well. who is Joseph's owner?
0: I, I would have thought Jacob, right? His father is the person who seems to be controlling him like a puppet, right? He says, you go to Shrem, and Joseph does. So who's enemies with Jacob's, so though, in this story, right? When we think about the tensions among the brothers in chapter 37 of Genesis, we always focus on the enemies are Joseph and his brothers, and now right. this cast of characters, in in saying, "Oh, Jacob is most natural to be the owner." Who's he enemies with? This this is somewhat strange.
1: Right. So, here's Ami's suggestion, which I think is is really just fascinating, mind blowing. Is maybe the fight isn't really between Joseph and his brothers, or at least maybe it's not supposed to be. But maybe the real fight is between The brothers and their father Jacob. So why would that make sense? Let Let's go back to the verses where it actually talks about this hatred between the brothers and Joseph. So, uh, Adina, let's if you could read uh, Genesis thirty seven verse four. This is the first time we hear about the brothers hating Joseph.
0: Sure. When Joseph's brothers see that their father Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his brothers, they hated him so that they could not speak a friendly word to him. It is such a horrible consequence of the favoritism that Jacob displays for Joseph right. in making him the katonat passim, that special garment, and in signaling him out for, for special treatment.
1: Right. So it, it's clear they they hate Joseph and later on that hatred turns into jealousy. But who's the one who really is causing them all of this pain?
0: The idea, I think, that that's being suggested here is that really they are despising their father's actions as signaling Joseph out for special treatment, but the direction that their anger takes them is to Joseph. And so it's almost like they're fighting with the wrong person, right? Right. Really the person who they should be angry at and directing their frustration at is Jacob. It's clear that it's Jacob's special treatment of Joseph that is the source of their ire.
1: Right, it's a a story of this misplaced hatred and anger. And the sad thing is, as long as they continue to take out this hatred on Joseph, the problem's never going to get better because until they actually (laughs) confront the person who's causing their pain, like, Joseph is... I don't know if it's an innocent bystander, because, you know, he definitely did did plenty to annoy them, but like he does not deserve he has his
0: fair share of escalation of the tension.
1: Right. Right. He definitely fuels the fire. Um, but the source of that fire is not Joseph. It's it's Jacob who's these brothers all they really want is for him to love them just as much as he loves uh his favorite. You know, you could imagine how If they had been aware of that, if they had been in touch with their own feelings and realized who the source of their anger was supposed to be, how different the story could have ended up.
0: Yeah. I think that's also a remarkable point about human nature is that sometimes we don't even fully realize who our anger really should be directed to. And we scapegoat people all the time. Um, As societies, tragically, we do this. And certainly as individuals, we do this. I'm fascinated by how the cast of characters kind of led to this remarkable insight. Joseph is the shore. The owner is Jacob. The brothers are the ones who come upon Joseph and should have returned him to his rightful owner, to Jacob. And tragically, there's this tension between Jacob and his sons and and their enemies.
1: Absolutely. Okay, so Adina, keeping all of this in mind, I want to come back to that original question we asked. Right? Why did Jacob send Joseph? What, what was going through his mind at that point? I think we're in a place now to actually look at the verses of when Jacob does send Joseph. So let's start in uh, Genesis 37, verse 11. This is right after Joseph told his brothers about the dreams, which really gets them riled up. Adina, take us away.
0: This is a, just a chilling pasuk. Vai kanubo achav the brothers were jealous of him, the Aviv Shamar Tadavar, and his father literally watched the matter, guarded the matter.
1: Right, he kept, he guarded, he took heed of the matter. And the question is, what's the matter? Um, And of course, Rashi says that it was the dreams and he was waiting to see if they would come true. But I think the simplest way to understand this is that the davar, the matter, is the most immediately preceding thing that we just read about, right? The thing that came just a few words earlier, which is...
0: So it seems like the davar is the first half of verse 11, Vayi the jealousy that he witnesses between his sons and Joseph.
1: Exactly. It, the, the jealousy gets to a point where finally Jacob sees it, he understands, he recognizes that his family is about to fall apart. And so, of course, if you're Yaakov, you're Jacob, and you realize your family is about to fall apart, what do you do?
0: So when you see a problem, a, a good person, a leader, should try to fix it.
1: Right. You you try to do something about it. So what does Jacob do? Continue.
0: In the very next verse, verse 12, <laughs> the, the brothers go to pasture their father's flock at Shechem. And then in verse 13, Uh, Here called Israel, uh, Jacob says to Joseph, Your brothers are pasturing the flock at Shechem. Go to them. And Joseph says, All right, I'm ready. Here I am. And then in the next verse, in verse 14, Jacob says it again. And he said, "Go see how your brothers are, how the flocks are, and bring back word for me." And he sent them from the the valley of Hebron, and he goes to Shechem.
1: Right, and let's look at those words closely. Right, re'ei et shalom achacha, that shalom hatzon. Literally, the the peace of your brothers and the peace of the flock. What's what's the significance of that word shalom?
0: That's exactly the the situation that verse four seems to be alluding to. The brothers cannot speak with peace, a friendly word to Joseph. And now Jacob is basically demanding, go see how they're faring. Go seek their peace. That elusive
1: peace, that peace that we just can't find between you and the brothers, I'm sending you out now to go find that peace. This is actually a point that Rabbi Foreman makes in uh, one of his Tisha B'Av courses, the one on the spies, that Jacob sent Joseph out as a peacekeeping mission. He recognized the jealousy, he realized his family was about to fall apart, and he knew this was his last chance to do something, and he hoped that maybe sending Joseph out would, would somehow fix the problem, it would finally bring that peace. But the question we have to ask is how? How would sending Joseph out to his enemies, to the brothers who hate him, actually bring peace? And here's where I think Mishpatim sheds light on this. So if you imagine you're tending to your field, you're tending to your animals, and out in the corner of your field, you see an ox wandering around. It's clearly lost. It doesn't know where it's going. They feel bad. Oh, this poor ox. You know, it's like, when we see a lost dog, you're like, Oh, this poor lost dog. Right. And you're saying, Oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go try to return it to its owner because like, it, it needs my help. And then imagine you go over to the ox and you look at its name tag and you realize it's your enemy's ox, but you don't really hate this ox. Right? The ox didn't do anything to you. It's just a poor ox. That's wandering around in the field. You're already thinking like you wanted to help this ox. Your enemy is the one you have a problem with, not the ox. Yosef was no different than the ox wandering around in the field. He's a young boy. And, you know, you could imagine the brothers seeing Yosef, running into him. They start talking. And then they realize now, you know, here they are in, Sh- in actually Dotan, about 100 miles away from Hebron where Yaakov was. And they realize Yosef's not our enemy. It's Yaakov. Like Joseph's annoying. We don't like him. Yeah, sure. But like a hundred miles away removed from the whole issue of their father's love, maybe they would have realized that Joseph wasn't the one they should have had the beef with. So maybe, and, and this is speculative, but maybe if Jacob really understood what was going on and he understood why the brothers were hating Joseph, he understood that the real problems weren't with Joseph, but were really with him. Maybe he saw an opportunity here. For the first time, maybe ever, as far as we know, the brothers are really far away from home. They're completely separated from Jacob. And now they have an opportunity to actually interact with Yosef removed from their father. But they have an opportunity to like actually get to know who Yosef is, other than being the favorite child. And I don't know that this is what Yaakov is planning, but to me, this seems to be what Mishpatim is suggesting.
0: Wait, you're you're saying maybe Jacob was hoping that in sending Joseph to the brothers without him somehow the brothers and Joseph without Jacob present could resolve their tensions, realizing that the brothers shouldn't be blaming Joseph for anything, right? It it's not it's not Joseph who's caused any of these issues really and that perhaps they can become a unit. And that's why Jacob maybe is sending, is sending Joseph out to the brothers. Maybe that's why Jacob feels it's so important that Joseph go on this journey.
1: Right, and that leaves us wondering though, Like that was the plan, how did it fail? Why didn't it work the way that Jacob was hoping? I
0: think an answer to that question could be because look at what the verses in Mishpatim suggest. The reconciliation really needed to happen between the brothers and Jacob.
1: Right, right, but first they need to realize who the real enemy is. Then they can work on fixing things with Jacob. But the, the first step has to be realizing that their problems aren't with Yosef. Mm-hmm. Hi, this is future Ari popping in. Adina's answer resonated with me. She was using the insight we had gained from looking at the parallels between Yosef and the lost Stocks in Parsha Mishpati. Doing the cast of characters allowed us to see that there was misplaced hatred, and you can't resolve that if you're trying to work it out with the wrong person. But truthfully, there's a part of the parallels which doesn't seem to line up. And I think that that difference may give us additional insight into why Jacob's plan failed, why the brothers weren't able to resolve their misplaced hatred with Joseph. So just to review, the verse of Mishpatim says, Ki <speaking> tifga <in Hebrew> When you encounter the acts of your enemy wandering, you must return it. The word used for encounter there is Tifgah, which typically refers to an up-close and personal encounter. But when you read the verse in Genesis 37 with Yosef and his brothers, things seem to unfold differently. So so let's look at the verse where that reconciliation could have happened right where that potential when they actually meet joseph right here's the point right they they meet joseph and they start talking and then they're like oh yeah like he's just an annoying little brother he's not the cause of the great sorrow of our lives right so let's let's look at 37 verse 18. okay he's on his way to the brothers he finally finds which way he's going
0: so such a dramatic irony they see joseph from afar And before he gets a chance to get close to them, they conspire to kill him.
1: The Torah makes this whole big deal about the fact that they saw him from afar. And before he even came close to them, they had already plotted to kill him.
0: I almost wish I could just be at that scene and just say, everybody take a knee, right? (laughs) Everybody just pause for one minute. You know, when your adrenaline's racing and you're talking so fast, everybody just pause and and just stop and think. And it almost feels like the buildup of the tension in this pasuk is implying they never pause.
1: Not just they never pause, but they never even got the chance to be pogea, to actually encounter Joseph. By the time he got close to them, It was already set in their minds to kill him. And if only it took them a little bit longer to come to this decision, maybe things would have been different. Maybe they would have talked to Joseph.
0: If only they had been like that Ish uh, a few verses earlier, who, you know, is is kind of like, you know, fumbling about in the field, just kind of aimlessly a little bit, very clearly taking a pause Engages Joseph in some banter.
1: And, and ask him, like, hey, Joseph, what are you looking for? Oh, we're looking for a What are you brother. doing here? What
0: are you looking for? If only they would have allowed that their initial encounter to Joseph be the same thing. Just pausing, what brings you here? And obviously that's, that's not how the episode proceeds. Right.
1: Maybe they could have discovered this new relationship with him. A relationship that wasn't centered around him being the favorite child.
0: And they could have. They missed the opportunity, I think, to engage with Joseph on his own terms.
1: Right. They missed the opportunity. Right. With terem y It's so chilling. Right. Before he even got close to them, they already set their minds up. If, if only they had taken a minute to slow down, like things just could have ended up so differently. But one of the great tragedies of the story is that that one minute that they didn't wait was all the difference. And just things would have been just a slight bit different. We would have been reading an entirely different story. So Adina, there's one more possible thing we can take away from this, which I think Mishpatim might be trying to teach us, which is that this whole idea of Hashavada Veda of returning the lost object or the lost ox is not just an opportunity for you to realize that the ox is not your enemy and that you you know shouldn't mistreat the ox because of it. But maybe it's also an opportunity for you to reconcile with the owner.
0: Yeah, I definitely see that. I think that this speaks to something about human nature. You know, sometimes all the conversations in the world can't enable two people who are so entrenched to to see eye to eye. But sometimes what can resolve tensions is acts of kindness. Right. So. I'm thinking about somebody who despises another individual and is put in a situation where he kind of rises to the occasion and does the right thing and restores his enemy's ox. Human nature is that when you do an act of kindness for somebody else, you feel more positively disposed to them. You know, I think, I, I'm thinking as a new parent the way that you bond with your baby is by doing a million acts of kindness a day for this <laughs> helpless child who doesn't show any affection back to you. Right. And that's how your love grows. There's that old adage that the the shorish for ahva is have to give. That's how you can reverse hatred.
1: Right. And isn't it fascinating? Um, many years later, it, it seems like the brothers do finally reach some level of resolution with their father and they 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 get past this animosity and it seems to be the one thing that actually does end up doing that is something that is really so similar to this which is a different favorite son of his who sure. is lost the story the from of home.
0: Benjamin and the emphasis on will return Benjamin to you
1: right they all rally around that mission of returning Benjamin to his father and that I mean, it's you know we don't know what happened in those in those year, intervening years, but it's that mission of bringing Benjamin back to his father, that's that seems to to be the impetus for this repairing, and it, it's not even like a specific, you know, I'm sorry for this. Oh, I'm sorry for that. and and like they didn't go to therapy. Um, sometimes it's just one act of giving, one act of chesed that just tears down those walls and just allows you to almost magically forget about all the things you were fighting over.
0: Even though there isn't a satisfying conversation in the book of Genesis, I think what you're highlighting is they act with such cohesion. That is a turning point in the course of the book of Genesis where you see Jacob and his sons act as a unit And I think your point is there was no dramatic conversation on a therapist's couch that the Torah just doesn't preserve for posterity. It's that there was an action of of this, this statement of Judas saying, I will return him to you, Dad. And that Jacob was able to look at his sons and say, I trust that you will. And that that action and that trust that they place in each other is you know speak so much more than volumes of words and restores and 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 changes the course of their relationship
1: right and and who knows maybe they did go to therapy later on um but something has to Therapy
0: is great everybody should do it
1: I totally agree but but something has to has to get you there right something has to reopen up those channels of communication re, you know open up that relationship again and get you to the point where you're actually trying to work past it and you and you you want to you, you're actually motivated to try to repair things and sometimes it's just that that one act of giving and, and i think this is just such a a powerful lesson you know whenever we have challenging relationships with with other people in our lives and, and we all do um to some to look sometimes in uh, unexpected places for ways that we can repair it sometimes just the simplest things are really these opportunities lying in wait for us to uh, repair even the greatest rifts. That's this week's episode. To listen to last year's episodes as well as our world-famous Porsche and Holiday videos, head on over to alephbeta.org and sign up for a membership. This episode was recorded by me, Ari Levison, together with Adina Blaustein. This episode was produced by Evan Wiener. Our audio editor is Hilary Gutman. Our production manager is Adina Blaustein. Our senior editor is me, Ari Levison. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.